All right, you guys ready to get into Hezekiah? All right, let's, uh, let's pray, then I'm just ready to jump in tonight. So, uh, Lord, we're just so grateful that you are with us. We're thankful that we can worship you in freedom. Uh, God, we are thank you. Uh, we thank you that you are a God who reigns above all things and that we can uh, worship you because that is true, but we can also have peace because that is true. And so I pray that coming uh, off of singing that, God, that our hearts would be prepped uh, to hear your word tonight. God, I pray uh, that you would just fill us with your presence, that you would fill us with your spirit. And I pray that uh, when we leave today, that we would be filled with hope. I pray that we would uh, leave today inspired to follow Jesus more faithfully. And I pray that we would leave today uh, ready to love and serve uh, the world and those who are in need. So uh, God, bond us to you in this moment. Uh, speak to us very personally. God, I believe there are people here tonight that desperately uh, need you. And so uh, we just express that. Uh, we invite you into this moment, and we give you thanks and praise. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, from last, last year around, I would say, September 5th, to November 14th, uh, I would say that, uh, my relationship with God went dark. Uh, this wasn't that long ago. I mean, September was just a handful of months ago, but I remember it was literally like mid-September. I just, uh, the only way I can describe it is I felt like the lights went off in my relationship with God. And maybe you kind of had that own experience. Maybe some of you, that's the experience that you're in right now, but I can't even explain it. It's like, I've always, you know, you have seasons where you feel God's presence and uh, it's just like, it's really strong in your life. And then you have seasons in your life where it's like, it's still there, but it's not as consistent. But this particular season in my life, like everything went dark. Uh, if you talk to my wife, uh, I, she would have told you I was in a uh, a bad headspace. I felt like I would show up at home. I had nothing to give. Uh, if you were to kind of describe that like season to you, like now that I'm kind of on the other side of it, I would say I was deeply discouraged in that season. I just felt like I would, I literally couldn't get through 10 minutes of prayer when I felt like that was something that was easier for me before that. Um, I was actually angry at the Lord. It was, it was interesting because I felt like the lights went off in my walk with the Lord. And then like the Lord allowed all my insecurities to ride to the surface. And like all these different things were being poked at in my life. I was angry. Most of my prayers in that time were just like expressing my anger at God. Uh, I was confused. Like I just, because I, there wasn't, legitimately, there wasn't a sin that kind of led me into that season. I just like, I actually felt like I was obeying something that God was calling me to do. And it just kind of put me in that season. I felt pressure. Uh, and I remember, like, as I was in that season, I was exhausted, I was overwhelmed. Uh, Crystal and I, uh, as we were processing, like, she, I mean, she could really tell you uh, that was, like, a real thing. And I'm not trying to, like, blow this out of proportion. Like, uh, I, some of you have probably had longer seasons and harder seasons for uh, seasons like that. But I also don't want to minimize, because that was, like, a, that was a real real thing for me a couple months ago. And then trying to like, you know, I'm trying to serve people, love people, and, uh, and follow Jesus. I just felt like I was falling short. Can any of you guys relate with that a little bit? It's, it's real. But I remember there was a particular uh, kind of moment in those two months. And I remember I was, uh, I was, I don't know if it was like in prayer. I don't remember if I was just thinking. But I remember a distinct moment. I couldn't tell you how far into it was. But I remember I had this thought to myself where I literally just remember thinking, I really want to respond to pressure better in my life. 
where I was sitting there, I'm like, I just feel like I'm not responding well to the pressure and pain point that I'm experiencing in my life, and I just want to respond, respond better. I remember, uh, you know, you like comfort eating. It's like, you know, we were joking before this, but it's like my daughter's fruit snacks were like my primetime 8 p.m. meal. Uh, and, it, you know, it's silly, but it's true. It's like you just know, you're like, what, why am I even eating this? So, you know, like there's like there's stuff going on, you're not aware of it. I remember I was just like, Crystal would talk to me, and she's like, you there? You know, I remember just kind of tuning out. Uh, there's kind of like just vegging out, like watching shows, like like how many sh- like Nights of Modern Family can we watch? Uh, I remember if, if I were really honest with you, and I'll get to this maybe in a little bit, but I remember I isolated in that season a lot more than I'd like to admit. I can just stand here before you and just confess that to you, that I isolated a lot more than I'd like to admit. Uh, and I just ultimately, I struggled to show up in love. How many of you know that's true? Like when pressure hits your life, you just struggle not just to show up, but to show up in love like Jesus. And I remember saying, like, I want to respond better, not just because, like, I want to be better. I think sometimes we're like, I just want to be better at this. And it wasn't that. But I I wanted to show up better because the way that I was showing up, uh, the system that I had, the response to this season, uh, it wasn't producing the fruit of the Spirit in me. It wasn't producing peace. It wasn't producing patience. It wasn't producing uh, just like a, a love to, to be present with people. And uh, it was just a real thing. And I came across, there's kind of this quote in business, and it applies to kind of all of life, but uh, it really kind of struck a chord with me. I actually heard it this week, and I'm like, this actually encapsulates what I was experiencing. But this, this quote says this. It says, your system uh, is perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting. So it doesn't matter if you're in business or in your spiritual life, but your system, however you kind of show up, like your operating system, is perfectly designed to give you the results you are getting in your life. And I remember when I said I want to show up better, it's because what was being produced in me, like my system to respond to pressure in my life, is, was perfectly designed to give me anxiety and not peace. Was perfectly designed to give me a restlessness and, and not a love. And here's the thing, I want you to know, Every single one of you has some sort of response system when it comes to how you respond to pressure in your life. When pressure hits your life, it's not even oftentimes like a cognitive thing. Just like it's, a, it's like a default response system. And your response system, it produces something in your life. So, so, so many of you I know are experiencing pressure and pain in your life. And it's either producing anxiety or it's producing peace. And the whole point is if you want to change what's being produced in your life, change your system. And you'll start to experience a different, maybe, like, production in your life. And, and the reason I share that is as we kind of enter into the second uh, message that I'm going to share with you about King Hezekiah's life, we're going to see four ways that we can respond to pressure in our life that actually produces the peace that we long for and the peace that I believe that you long for. So with that being said, let me catch you up to speed. I know not all of you were here last week, but we are in a series called Under Pressure. This is the life of King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was a king in the Old Testament. He was leading God's people. He was uh, the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. So uh, the people of God, were the, the kingdoms were split into two kingdoms. You had uh, Israel in the north, and they just got wiped off the map by Assyria, and you had Judah in the south, and King Hezekiah is leading this. And uh, you have to understand, so Jerusalem is the capital city of the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem is under siege by the Assyrian army, and literally is on the verge of being destroyed. Uh, the Assyrian army has, like, demolished all of Judah, and literally that's all that's left is Judah. It's like the leftovers on your plate. It's like you eat all the meal, and you have a few leftovers. Like, that's, like, all that's left of the, uh, of the nation of Judah. 
And uh, you have to understand, in this scene, there's kind of like, you'll have to listen to last week's message if you missed it, but there's the Assyrian army is not just attacking uh, Judah out of nowhere, but the, but the general is literally like, he's like smack-talking God's people. And he uses all these strategies to get Hezekiah to compromise. He's trying to inflict fear on the people. And, we're, and last week, we saw four different ways that the enemy will kind of come at your life, four different strategies. The enemy will produce uh, fear in your life so that you will compromise. And so kind of in this scene, you have to understand the, the nation of, of Judah, Jerusalem is like, it, it's literally being attacked. It's like the pinnacle moment of pressure. And Hezekiah, we're going to see how he responds to that pressure in our life. And we're going to see how we respond to our pressure in life. So with that being said, we're going to jump into the first uh, four verses of 2 Kings 19. And this is what the passage says. It says, when King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. And it's when he heard uh, this Syrian field commander like ridiculing the name of the living God, insulting him, declaring that he's more powerful. But when he heard this, he went into the temple of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. So quick pause. Isaiah, who you read here, is the author of the book of Isaiah that you read in your Bibles. And so this is kind of like a narrative scene where you catch Isaiah in it, which is really cool. Verse 3, it says, They told him, this is what Hezekiah says, This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It's a horrible day of disgrace. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, Isaiah, pray for the remnant that still survives. So like I said, jump into the scene. Armies are like sieging Jerusalem. This isn't just like a couple hour thing. This is like days. This is like pressure. Like Hezekiah is in the middle of this. He hears the ridicule. He knows like he's at his wits end. And what he does, it says that he runs into the temple of the Lord and he sends his spiritual community to Isaiah. And the first thing that we're going to see tonight is that when we are under pressure, what Hezekiah teaches us and what this passage teaches us is that we are to run to God's presence. I know this is really simple, but notice what Hezekiah uh, did in the passage. It says that it says that he, when he heard what the field commander have said, he ran into the temple of the Lord. Notice what he didn't do. Hezekiah didn't, he didn't give up on God in his pressure moment. He didn't wallow in despair in his pressure moment. He didn't try to fix it himself or come up with human solutions. It said that when he heard the devastating news of what was going to happen, he went into the temple of the Lord. And what I love about this when I read it, like if you put yourself in this, I would be scared out of my mind. The Assyrians were horrible. They were cruel. They were brutal to people. And he's responsible for everything. And it's not the, he doesn't run into the temple. It's not the, it's not the second thing he does. It's not the third thing that he does. It's not the fourth thing that he does. The first thing that he does is he runs to God's presence. He teaches that when pressure hits you life, the first thing that we do is we run to the presence of God. I think King Hezekiah would have been raised in the scriptures. Uh, as we saw last week, he's a godly man, and I think he would have known passages like this. In Proverbs 18.10, it says this. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. 
I love this verse. It's this picture of like kind of this battle and it's in the heat of battle and in the pressure. Maybe think about your life, your metaphorical battle. It's, it's like the Lord is like this strong fortress. He's this place of protection. He's this, he's this place of safety. And the godly, specifically it's the godly who not just walk to him or eventually make their way, the godly run to him and are safe. And here's the point I want to make very simply from this passage tonight is that when pressure hits your life, every single one of us have a temple that we run to. When pressure hits your life, every single one of you have some sort of quote-unquote temple that you run to. A temple is uh, the place of security. It's the place of comfort. It's the place of safety. It's It's the place that you go to for wisdom and direction. And I think one of the questions that I just want to ask you as we as we kind of venture into this passage tonight, is what temple are you running to in your pressure season right now? Because it's not if you are running to a temple, but it's which temple you're running to. And what this passage says is that it's only in the presence of the Lord that we are truly safe and secure. And I love this. So you see Hezekiah, he, he runs to the temple, but it says the second thing that he does is he, he reaches out to God's people. So we're going to see the second thing, that under pressure, we run to God's presence, but secondly, we reach out to God's people. Uh, notice uh, Hezekiah doesn't just, he doesn't just run to God's presence, but he also involves God's people. The passage says that he sends Eliakim, uh, Shebna, and the leading priests. It's like his spiritual community, so to speak. And he, and he sends them to Isaiah, uh, the prophet to ice, to ask for prayer. I love it. Hezekiah, unlike me, he doesn't he doesn't isolate himself, but he addresses his problems in the context of spiritual community. How easy is it that temptation to isolate yourself and to kind of like step away from spiritual community? But I love this. He runs to the temple of God, and then he calls his spiritual community together. He explains what's happening, and then he sends them to ask for prayer. And he tells Isaiah, he goes, "Pray for the remnant that still survives, because we're in a bad situation." And I just want to pause real quick right here, and I just want to say this. One pastoral observation I have as I watch people navigate pressure is that there's typically three errors that we make, that I make, that oftentimes rob us of the peace that we can have in Jesus. And I'm actually going to put these on the screen. And I really, tonight's going to be super practical, and I just want you to reflect on these. Uh, the first error that I think we make that robs us, to, uh, robs, robs us of peace is that we only run to God's presence but not his people. It's like when pressure hits your life and you're under that, like you're like, you know, you run to God's presence, but you just don't involve his people. And I think the second error that we make is that we only run to God's people and then not to his presence. Or thirdly, we run to the wrong people. But what scripture teaches us here and what Hezekiah shows us is that when, when this stuff hits his life and when anxiety is there and when he's, he's feeling the pressure, is he runs to God's presence first and then he reaches out for God's people. And I just want to tell you that it's the combination of all three of those things that actually produce the most peace in our life. It's interesting that Hezekiah, uh, he, he, when I say he... Uh, he doesn't run. He runs. He doesn't run to the wrong people. Is notice he sends. He reaches out for Isaiah. He 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 reaches out for the person that is wise. He reaches out for the person that he knows is gonna like pray on behalf of him. And there's there's something about that when we kind of get in these seasons is we reach out for people. We reach out for people that actually won't support us in prayer, or people that actually won't hold us accountable, or people who actually will tell us what we want to hear, 
but not what actually what God might say through his word to them. I remember I was, so I was prepping for this sermon, I think it was Wednesday this week, and uh, I was literally in the middle of these two points of running to God's presence and reaching out to God's people, and I remember I was sitting in the four silos coffee shop, and I was working away, my wife called me, and she was taking our daughter Kinsley to a doctor's appointment, and uh, she, yeah, she, I called her, I was like, hey, how did it go, and she's, and she kind of shared with me some, uh, some health stuff that the that the pediatrician pointed out about Kinsley. It's not like crazy big anything, like nothing's going to be ultimately that big of a deal, but it was enough to give me anxiety as a father. So it's, literally, it's so funny. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally in the middle of a coffee shop writing about when pressure hits your life and you get an anxiety, and I'm like, I'm just going to work straight through this. As I'm writing to you about running to God's presence and reaching out to God's people. So it's funny. I remember I was like, in the moment, I was like, all right, Lord, this is a mini small example and I was like, all right, so I got up, and I went on a walk, and I just talked. I'm like, all right, Lord, this seems silly. I was like, but I'm really anxious about this. Like, you know how much I love my daughter, and I just feel all this pressure, and I just want to give that anxiety to you. And God's like, what's step two? It's like, reach out to God's people. It's like, I'll do that later. That sounds great. And so I finished my sermon, and I remember I was driving to meet somebody for a lunch, and then God's like, hey, uh, who are you going to reach out to? And I was like, these people. And I was like, yeah, I'll text them after the lunch. And then I was done with that. And then I forgot. And then the next day came, and God's like, you remember when you said you were going to reach out for prayer? And I was like, yes, I'll do that tomorrow. And then, I, and then I literally forgot the whole weekend, and this morning I'm reading over this sermon, and I was just like, I didn't do that. And the reason I share that is I have a pattern in my life, and I don't know if you can relate to it. There's two things that happen when things really hit. I work through my pressure and pain, and the second thing I do is I don't reach out to people because I feel weak. I remember when I was going to share the story with you, I was like, this is not a big deal at all. And anybody who would hear this would, th- would say, like, it's really not that big of a deal. And there's something about, of like, I struggle to, like, to voice my weaknesses to people. And I will, depending on how big it is, because I want to, like, there's something about me that wants to protect an image about looking strong. And I just want to tell you tonight that if you feel weak, and you feel like sharing openly and vulnerably, vulnerably about what's going on in your life, like being weak in front of people is actually the place of strength. And I remember uh, kind of going back to that season that I was talking to you about where I was uh, like kind of two months of I wasn't feeling God's presence and I was struggling. I remember um, one of the things that I do, and I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it's interesting. Hezekiah it's when he's in the middle of it that he reaches out to people. One of the things that I like to do is inform people afterwards about how bad the last season was. So it's like you go through the season that's absolutely horrible, and then you're like, I rem- this literally happened. I was in my office talking to Mark Anderson, and he's like, how have you been, man? And I was like, dude, the last two months of my life like, were really, really hard. And I remember I've been in that moment. He's like, we've been talking this, these two months this whole time. It's like, you, you, you know what I'm saying? But we do this thing, we walk, we're like, oh, I'm great, yeah, good, yeah, no, yeah, there's some little stresses. And then you tell people afterwards, like, that was the darkest season of my life. You're like, I was literally right here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Guys, I'm, I, I'm being, these are lighthearted stories, but I just want to say, when pressure hits your life, we run to God's presence and we reach out to God's people in the middle of what's going on, and that's what gives us peace. And so let's continue on with the story and see what happens next. 
So uh, Hezekiah sends for his spiritual community to talk to Isaiah to ask for prayer. And in verse 5, it says this. It said, when King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid. So the most comforting verses in scripture. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there will I will have him cut down with the sword. Now, I kind of underline that phrase, underlings. Literally, uh, like Old Testament scholar John Goldengay says that literally that word can be translated boys. So when Isaiah responds, it's like, hey, don't worry about those boys. It's like they're little. They're ins- insignificant. They have no power. I know it seems like they're about to take down your city, to take down the people. He goes, but they're just boys. Don't worry about it. Uh, I'm going to send a report. They're going to go back, and I'm going to have them cut down by the sword. And so it's interesting to me, when, when, when Hezekiah, when he goes to the temple of the Lord, when he reaches out for prayer, God responds by giving promises. So the third thing that we see is that when we are under pressure, we receive God's promise or God's promises. Notice, God gives Hezekiah a promise through the prophet Isaiah. He says, I will make the king return to his own country, and I'll have him cut down by his sword. That's a very intense promise. And notice that the purpose of the promise, this is very key, the purpose of the promise is to bring peace where the enemy has brought fear. Hezekiah is in a fearful state. And when God responds through Isaiah and gives him a promise, the purpose of the promise is, is, is to produce peace. And that's why you can see it says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Here's the promise. In other words, what God is saying to Hezekiah here, he's saying, listen, do not be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of what's going to go wrong. Don't be afraid of the future. Trust my promise and trust my protection. And if you do, you will have peace. I think this shows us this lesson that I want you to write down if you, if you have pen and paper. It says that we fight fear given by the enemy through the promises given by God. We fight the fear of the enemy that's given to us by the enemy through the promises given by God. Now, these promises may come through Scripture. They may come through Scripture through God's people. It may be actually a very specific prophetic word that God says to you through the life of somebody else like it is in this story right here. But this is, how, this is what happens. The enemy gives fear and God gives promises to produce peace in the midst of the fear. Uh, I remember uh, I was kind of prepping for this, like I said, and I was reading a story this week of uh, Corrie ten Boom. I don't, how many of you guys, are you guys familiar with Corrie ten Boom? She, uh, she was a Dutch, how many of you read her book? I think that was like a fifth grade reading assignment back in the day. But anyway, it's a great book. Uh, anyway, she's a, she's a Dutch watchmaker living in Germany. Uh, she's, she helped, uh, if you don't know her story, she kind of helped hide Jews uh, in her house when uh, the Nazis were kind of at the peak of, of what was happening. And uh, she got caught, and she actually got brought to a concentration camp. And one of the things that she brought up that I just thought was so simple and so powerful and the way that she fought fear, when she was literally fighting the fear of Nazis coming into her house, and she had to hold on to the promises of God's word, one of the things that I read that she did that I thought was just such a beautiful picture of how we fight, she said she would take her Bible, and she would find the place in the scriptures of a promise that God gave to her in the midst of of her pressure moment, and she would hold up her Bible to God and said, you said it, I'm asking you to keep it. I thought it was just this beautiful picture. It's like, listen, I'm in this place of fear. I know what you said, what you're going to do, and I'm asking you to keep your word. 
I thought that was a beautiful picture of like, it's not just like we just read these promises. We're like, that's great. Moving on with life. But it's, it's God gives you a promise. You root yourself in it. And then you can, in your prayers, you're holding God accountable to the things that he said he would do through his word in your life. And so God gives us promises to combat fear, which is why the enemy's chief strategy is to create doubt where God has put fear in your life. And this is what we're going to see in the next verses. Look what it says. It says, when the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Notice what God said he was going to do is already in process, even though Hezekiah doesn't know it yet. Now Sennacherib received a report that Turka, the king of Cush, which are the Ethiopians, by the way, was marching out to fight against him. So he hears this rumor that the Ethiopians are coming to fight against him. And so he, again, sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word. So pressure is kind of coming on. God's promise is being fulfilled. And the enemy does like one last intimidation effort. And it's to create doubt. Look what he, look what he says, verse 10. It says, say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, do not let the God you depend on deceive you. I love this, that the enemy is saying, don't let God deceive you when the enemy is the one doing the deceiving. It says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to that. Don't believe what I just told you through Isaiah. Don't believe what I've said to you through your word. Surely you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? resonates like when the enemy speaks at your life, like, are you going to be delivered from this? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? Then here's where the smack talk starts. Did the gods of Gozen, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar, where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Sephavarim, Hena, and Iva? Where are they? They're defeated. They're dead. What makes you think your God is going to deliver you? And it's fascinating. It's, Hezekiah doesn't know this, understand, but it's as God's promise to Hezekiah has already been set in motion that the enemy attacks to create doubt. This is, actually, this is literally exactly what the enemy does in Genesis chapter 3. It starts to inflict doubt on Adam and Eve. It's like, uh, you know, like God's not true to his word. He's holding out on you. Like, I know he promised you life, but he really is like, he, like it's all this like doubt talk. And you have to understand, humanly speaking, Hezekiah, there's nothing else in his life that he has to go on in this moment except God's promise circumstantially, there's nothing in his life, circumstantially, that says that God's going to show up for his promise. And maybe you feel like that in your life, that you feel like there's nothing in my life that is, gonna, that is like showing me that God's going to show up for me. And the enemy comes in in that moment and starts literally like poking at you. When everything's falling apart, doubt, 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 accusation, accusation of God, and it floods your minds. Doesn't it feel like that? I remember when I was in that season, I just felt like doubts of who God was, who, what he said he was going to do for me, the things that he would be for me, all those doubts started to happen. And I see, I think we see another lesson right here is that the enemy attacks God's promise in your life by tempting you to fixate on the problem. The enemy will attack God's promise or promises to you made in scripture by tempting you to fixate on the problem of your situation. It's intimidation. Notice, notice what he did. He didn't just like poke at God. He goes, look at all these other things. What makes you think God's not gonna, what makes you think God's gonna show up for you? 
And this is what I do. I, it's so fascinating. I do it, and then I'll, I'll meet with people, and it's like they're in the middle of a situation, and all they can see is the problems of their situation. And that's what the enemy does. He takes your attention off of Jesus, off of his promises of his word, and he fixates you on the problem, and he blows up the size of the problem, and he shrinks the promises of God in your life. And in that gap, you got to fight, and you got to fight hard. And, and listen, the enemy may not go like, where is that God? Where is that God? But this is what the enemy would do. He'll go, like, look at that area of your life. Has God delivered you there? He failed you there. What makes you think he's going he's gonna to show up for you in this situation? Or maybe he's going to point out something. He's like, look at, look at that area in your family. Your family wasn't delivered from that situation? What makes you think that God's going to show up in this situation? Or maybe he's going to say, hey, look what happened in your church. Look what happened in your small group. Look what happened last time you tried to do that thing. How did that go for you? See how God didn't show up for you? And here's what, here's what the enemy does. Here's what's really key. The enemy will make you look at things in your life as if God failed a promise that's actually a promise he never made. So you'll be let down in an area of your life. And Satan will convince you that was a promise and God wasn't true to his promise, but it really wasn't a promise that God made. God promised to be with you in it, not to save you from it. And he says, look how God failed and he creates doubt in your current circumstance. It's exactly what the enemy is doing to King Hezekiah. But I love this. Hezekiah, he doesn't fix it on the problem. Look how he responds. And we're gonna read through a good chunk right here, but pay attention. This is where it gets really good. Verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. I love this. If there's this beautiful picture when, when stress hits his life, he takes the letter and he, and he puts it on the temple floor. And he spread, I love this picture, like spreading your problems, spreading the threats of the enemy before the Lord. How many of you do that? You take the lies that are in your head that the enemy has given you and you write them out, put them on the floor and you spread it before the Lord in prayer. Verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and you have made earth. He starts his prayer acknowledging who God is. Notice he acknowledges the size of God before he lays out his situation. So he prays to God and says, you reign over all things. In other words, you reign over everything, even the circumstance. Then he lays out what's going on in his life. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see Listen to the words of the king that he has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations in their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. And so he acknowledges the size and the power of God. He lays out his situations, and he says there's, there's truth in what the enemy is saying. Just like in your life, there will be truth in what the enemy says, but it's, it's not full truth. It's partial truth, and it's, it's deceitful. And so he lays out what's, hap what's happening, and, and oftentimes in our lives, we immediately go for who God is to what we want him to do, and we don't describe the pain of what's going on. He describes what's going on, and then he prays his prayer of supplication and interceding. He says, now, Lord, oh, our God, deliver us from his hand. And I love this. And his motivation isn't, oh, Lord, so that I can be a great king, so that I can have my comfort back. Hezekiah's motivation is the glory of the Lord. He says, deliver us from his hand so that the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. 
And so the, I can't read this if you look in your Bibles, but there's this long poetic response of pretty much like God smack talk back and God responds. And so go read at home. And, but ultimately, this is, what God, this is how God responds. So he prays and it says, verse 35, that night the angel of the Lord went and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people get up, got up the next morning, there were all dead bodies. So the king of Assyria broke camp and withdrew. Notice exactly what Isaiah said would happen. And he returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. And then in verse 37, it jumps to another scene. This is 20 years later. So God immediately responds to the prayer by putting 180,000 to death. And then 20 years later, he fulfills his promise. And it says this, One day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god, Nisroch, his sons, referring to the king of Assyria, killed him with the sword. And they escaped to the land of Ararat, and Esaradon, his son, succeeded him as king. The last thing that we see is that when we are under pressure, we pray God's promises as we wait for his plan to unfold. Notice, notice when, when Hezekiah prays, there's an immediate response and then there is an ultimate fulfillment. There's an immediate fulfillment to God's word and God's promise in his life and then there's an ultimate fulfillment. One commentator that I, that I read this week said this about this scene that I thought it was really helpful. It says, the fulfillment of God's promises are sometimes slow, but they are always sure. Notice, the promises of God, they are sometimes slow, but they are always sure. I wonder if uh, you're King Hezekiah and you hear what God said he would do through Isaiah. And then you see the enemy retreat and you kind of see what God did there and you're like, God, that's not everything that you said you would do. And then 20 years later, who knows if Hezekiah was even alive for this? The ultimate fulfillment of God's plan happens. And here's, it's so true for our lives too. Is it not true? You're in this pressure moment. You pray God's promises. God shows up immediate in your life, but there's still more that God said he would do. And you're waiting on it. You're waiting for him to show up. It's sometimes slow, but it's always sure. Guys, here's what I want you to know. In your season, I don't know what you're going through right now. You might be experiencing pressures from temptation. You might be experiencing pressures from a breakup. You might be experiencing pressures from just life or career. Whatever it may be, at some point, you will be able to look back on this season in your life and go, God, I see exactly what you were doing. And you're like, I know that promise I was praying. I know that promise that I was receiving and believing. And I saw an immediate response, but now I see the fulfillment of that, and I know you're good. I'm telling you, at 40, you'll look back on your 20s and go, God, I knew exactly what you were doing. And sometimes in your life, you'll go through your whole life, and you'll only stand with Jesus, and you'll look back on the whole of your life and go, I had no idea, but now, God, I see what you were doing. And I love this. Hezekiah, he praised God's promises as he waits for God's plan to unfold. Here's the last thing that I want to say about that. Hezekiah doesn't just receive the promise, but he prays the promises. I think sometimes we just read a promise and we're like, great. Now I'm going to intellectually believe that as I walk through this pressure moment. But there's something about taking the promises of God and praying them into your system. Like when we pray the promises of God, it's like a way of like massaging the promises of God into your mind and heart. That's why we don't just read, but we pray scripture. We get it into our inner depths. And we see that God's promises are always sure, even if they're slow, but they will always come to pass. 
So as we kind of wrap up tonight's message, and we're going to finish next week, uh, Enoch, our beloved brother, is going to come back and uh, finish out the series for us, which will be great. But I just want to ask you a very uh, honest and reflective question. There is nothing that is crazy out there new that you probably learned tonight. Um, learning that running to God's presence and pressure is probably not something new that you've heard. Uh, running to God's people is probably something you've heard since like second grade Sunday school. Uh, praying promises are things that you've probably heard over and over. And waiting for God's plan is probably something that you've heard over and over. And yet, this is what Hezekiah models to us as a way to have peace. And I just want to ask you a question last night. You can intellectually know these things, but not put them into practice in your life and experience anxiety and distress and catastrophic decisions that we make in it. And I just want to ask you a question tonight. In your season of pressure or the season that you're going to have of pressure, is your current response strategies producing an outcome that you're happy with? Just think about it. The outcome of the fruit of your experience in life, is it giving you love, joy, peace, patience? Or is it producing anxiety, stress, isolation? Because I just, I just want you to consider, maybe uh, if you're not happy with what's being produced in your life, Hezekiah's response could actually become your response. So as we, as we end tonight, I, I want to ask you four questions and maybe you can jot these answers down mentally as you're listening right now, or maybe you can actually write it down. But I just want to ask you, these are the application questions that I'm going to give you. One, what's one place that you can run to in your season of pressure right now? The presence of the Lord can sound so like, what does that even mean? But like, what's a place you can go in your life when something hits that you can run to that place and go, I know when, this, when I feel this way, this is where I go, and this is where I'm going to encounter God's presence. What's one place you can run to? Secondly, who's one person you can reach out to? Not after it's over, but in the middle of it. Who's your Isaiah? We're going to say, will you pray for me? I'm in a situation that I don't know what to do. And can you share something from God's word to encourage me? What's one promise that you can receive that is customized for you right now? And maybe you don't know what that is, and you need to go home tonight and read through the book of Ephesians and just see like, what God has promised you that you can receive that. And what would it look like for you to pray that promise as you wait for God's plan to unfold? Maybe you take that promise and you put it on your mirror in the morning. Maybe you put it in your car. Maybe you put it on your desk at work. And pray that promise and get it into your system so that it can produce peace. Guys, here's the reality of the story. We can have peace, not because these are four ways that we can respond to have a better experience, but we can respond to this way because when we run to the presence of God, we are running to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is crucified he is raised to new life, and he is reigning over all things. Everything in your life, Jesus is reigning over. And what this passage teaches you is that Jesus is a defender of his name, and Jesus is a defender of his people. And we can trust Jesus because he loves you, he uses his power and authority for your good, and he will defend his name, and he will defend you because he dearly, dearly loves you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we uh, acknowledge, uh, God, that we have pre-programmed responses to the pain we are experiencing in our life. And God, I'm telling you, uh, Lord, I want to, 
I want to handle the pressure better in my life, Lord, because I want to experience the peace of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Jesus, I want to experience you. And not just because I want to experience you, because I want to show up in love for my family and for my friends and my church community and my neighbors. And God, I know, uh, Lord, that our world desperately needs a picture of peace. And so, God, I pray that when the world sees us who claim that we are sons and daughters of the living God and we're at peace in a strange way in our lives in ways that the world would say we would be out of our minds if we were going through that. God, I pray that we would handle breakups with peace. I pray that we would handle job losses with peace. I pray that we would handle uh, hopes that aren't fulfilled yet with peace. God, I pray that we would handle family uh, breakdown with peace. God, I pray that we would handle loneliness with peace. I pray that we would handle temptation with peace. I pray that we would handle the brokenness of war that we're seeing in this world with peace. Not because we don't care, but because we deeply care. But we're connected to the God who is making all things new. So God, I pray that we would run to your presence. God, I pray that we would reach out to your people. God, I pray that we would receive your promises and pray your promises. God, as we wait for your beautiful plan to unfold. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your hope. We pray this in your name. Amen.